you know, carry on talking about giving rise to bodhicitta. And this is usually taught after the four boundless qualities. I'm going to introduce it a little bit earlier. We've developed quite nicely along in with respect to the practices of the four boundless qualities. And I thought that by introducing this now, it will also supplement the current practices that we're doing with respect to the four boundless qualities. The biggest cause of our suffering is our ignorance. And because of our ignorance, we have the self-grasping. We attach to ourself. And as a result of that, these afflictive emotions arise. Our anger, our jealousy, and our arrogance arise. What are these practices doing? These practices of the four boundless qualities, we are now focusing on other people, on other sentient beings, wishing for their happiness, wishing for their freedom from suffering, rejoicing in their good fortune. The more we're thinking about others, the less we're thinking about ourselves. Generally, what we used to do before is predominantly be concerned with our own well-being. And because we're always thinking about ourselves, we have a lot more time being unhappy. While when we're thinking about the benefit of others, we're not thinking about ourselves so much anymore. And as a result, our suffering is reduced. What we're doing is turning our way of thinking upside down. Instead of always being self-concerned, become more concerned about others. As the great saint Shantideva said, all the suffering in the world comes from wishing for one's own happiness, while all the happiness in the world comes from wishing for the happiness of others. Always looking for happiness externally is like looking for an elephant outside when it's in the house. Similarly, when we're always projecting externally, the cause of our unhappiness or the cause of our happiness is external due to other people. We never really find it because the real source is within ourselves. We chase after all of these desires, run after our habits, and we think that this is what is going to bring us happiness. However, what it does is maybe give us temporary happiness, but however, is often the creation of our future suffering. It's very much like that of a moth or a, yes, a moth, a moth around the flame. It's very attracted to the flame and it flies around the flame and then flies into the flame and then hurts itself. It doesn't realize that the flame is the cause or going to be the cause of its suffering. And this is very often what happens with these desires of ours. We're so attracted or we think this is what's going to make us happy. However, it is actually the cause of our suffering. And every one of us wants to be happy. We don't want to suffer. None of us want to suffer. Not even in our dreams do we want to suffer. Why is it that we have this self-grasping, this ego clinging? We've had this habit for lifetimes and we're so used to it. So we don't really realize the truth or we've forgotten the truth. What do we think? We think that we are independent of other people and this environment. We think that we're permanent. However, this is not the truth. Everything is changing, everything is impermanent, and our lives are interdependent with the environment and with other people. 
We are simply interdependent with this world. This is just a reality. This is a truth. Without the environment, we don't have air, we don't have water, we can't survive. We rely on the farmers, transport, so many different industries for getting our food. So much of the joy and happiness in our life is interdependent with other people or depends on other people. So really our life is not independent of others or this environment. We consider ourselves very important. However, in the greater scale of things, 7 billion people, are we really so important? Are we really so significant? Maybe also reasons that we think like this is because we taught survival of the fittest. You need to be the, the best. Makes us very competitive. However, in this, who is stronger? The person that looks after themselves or the person who is able to look after many people? In this regard, I just think of Rinpoche. He's really quite incredible. He's out there teaching. He's making Dharma available to everybody. And he's got hundreds of monks that he looks after. As a result of his hard work, they have a place to stay. They have food to eat. They have the opportunity to learn and to study and to practice. So his wish is far greater than just for himself. His wish is really for so many different sentient beings or for all sentient beings. And he takes responsibility for so many of them. It's very important to remember our motivation. Is our motivation positive or negative? If it is positive, then the result, our actions will be positive. What is positive is that we remember and we do our best to live according to the truth and to live with kindness and compassion. Try and avoid negative motivations. What are negative motivations? Getting involved in these afflictive emotions and not living according to the truth, following these fabrications of our mind. And getting involved in all sorts of dramas and upheavals. And so whatever we do, make our aspiration as vast as possible. Then it is of boundless merit. Even although we might just be one person, really wish that everything that we do is for the benefit of others, that everybody may find happiness and liberation and be free from their suffering. And then everything that you do has a positive motivation. This, of course, is quite difficult because these habits of us know us very, very well. We want to think of the benefit of others, but within a few moments we're thinking of ourselves, we're involved in some kind of problem. We haven't got that away, awareness and mind training to maintain that state of mind. And when we're aware, then these negative habits don't arise. But as soon as we are tired, then all of a sudden these afflictive emotions arise. The desire arises, the attachment arises. It knows us. They know us very, very well. They know in what situations we're weak, and then they suddenly jump up and drag us away on some wild adventure again. And then these negative emotions get the better of us again. It's not like in Buddhism that you go to some kind of jail because of your negative emotions. 
what happens is is when we interact with them, when we entertain them, when we are, let's say, seduced by them, or we follow them, we do negative things. And those bring about negative results from which we experience discomfort and unhappiness or suffering as a result of them. And also when we see people practicing, try not to judge people. Rather look at yourself, look at your own mind, transform your own mind. Somebody, you might see somebody having three beers in a day and you say, oh look at that Buddhist, I thought they didn't drink. But in reality this person might have been drinking ten beers a day. But now they're only drinking three. So yes, they're having beers. However, they are much better than they used to be before. So sometimes people have their negative and afflictive emotions. Sometimes they do get involved in them and they can't control them. And then we think, oh, we thought Buddhists never get angry. However, that person might have got angry very, very often. And now they've improved considerably. They're only getting angry sometimes. So be very careful of judgment towards others. And sometimes we think, well, why should I practice for the benefit of others? I don't see any immediate effect. I don't see any immediate benefit. In fact, when I go and help other people, what happens is they take no regard of my help. There's no appreciation. There's no gratitude. And all that ends up is that I'm the one that ends up suffering. Don't look at the short-term effect. There is an effect. There is a result of the practice. Just we might not see it immediately. Just like if we smoke a lot, we don't see the effect on our health in the short term. But in the long term, it will have quite a big impact on our health. Similarly as well, a farmer, when they plant the seeds, you don't immediately see the fruit or the crop arising. It takes time. Maybe it takes a few months before you see the crop so it's the same principle as well. Although in the beginning we might not notice the result or the effect of our practice of kindness and of compassion and of joy. However, over time, the result starts to become evident. And then really when you're around people that have been practicing joy and kindness and happiness towards others, you start to feel this. You, you meet some of these great teachers and really around them, you feel just very comfortable and very relaxed. And this really is a, as a result of their years of practice of kindness and compassion and their wisdom. And in these practices of giving rise to bodhicitta, very important are the Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas, the great teachers. What do they do? They give us our aspiration. They give us the example of the love and kindness and compassion which we wish to incorporate into and to absorb into our own mind stream so that this is how we act. And equally important are all sentient beings because it's through sentient beings, our living with them, that we are able to practice. Through them, many great qualities and great merits arise. They give us the opportunity to practice. So they are equally as important as all the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas and we really should hold them in great esteem and in great gratitude. And this forms the essence 
of these teachings now on the seven points of training of giving rise to bodhicitta. <laughs>